One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana. The host asked me if I had a nickname. Said my friends call me the Dirtbag King. She said on the air I started giggling. Hasn't had me back, but now I've got this podcast. Welcome to my podcast. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. My name's Charles Ellsworth, and you're listening to A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. If you're not familiar with me, that's all right. You're definitely not the only one. I'm a songwriter first, musician second, somewhere down the line filmmaker. Pretty much I just like to tell stories. Some people have called me a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, and I'm definitely semi-professional at everything I do. Nothing single-handedly makes me a living, but it all adds up to getting by. All right, well, got... This is Chuck, and welcome to A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. I got my friend Dakota Jones on the line. How are you doing, Dakota? I'm doing all right, Charles. It's good to be here. Thanks for letting me come on. Of course. I'm just so stoked to have you, and it's good to be able to talk and catch up with you again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how are, you're, you're out in Bozeman still? That, mm-hmm. That's where you were last time I saw you, Bozeman, Montana? Yep. Yeah, so I'm from, well, I grew up in Moab, Utah, um, but I went to most of high school in Durango, Colorado. Uh, southwest Colorado and then um, basically lived there I mean I've been all over the place it's like that was kind of home but I was like on the road basically for 10 or more years Um, but since last August I've been in Bozeman because I decided to go back to school oh cool hell yeah that's what I that's what I thought and that's a um that's like I mean you grew up in Moab you uh lived in Durango for a long time and then you're in in Bozeman now like you've you essentially only lived in places that people go on vacation. That's that's exactly right. Yes, they're <laughs> they're a bit one dimensional in that regard, and there's definitely a lot of white people like myself. But uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to stay away from the landscapes out here. It I every time like every time things start to go like not bad in my life here in Brooklyn, but like as far as uh, um, struggle. Yeah, yeah. Like as as soon as I'm just like having a rough week, I'm like I just I just need to pack up and move to. Colorado, Utah, Montana, Arizona, like yeah, just get me out of here. Distance. Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, I also love the city and I don't think I'm done with it yet, but I, I sure do miss the mountains and everything. Yeah. It's always a bit of a compromise. So for those of us, those of you listening that don't know who Dakota is, you're, you, how would you describe yourself? You're like an outdoorsman, ultra marathon runner. Is that, is that the correct term? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty fluid. You can call me whatever you want. Um, but I, uh, I generally call myself like a mountain runner or trail runner. Um, basically I've been running like trail races, like basically more long distance and like ultra marathon stuff since I was about, I guess, 17. Um, and when I was, and right before my senior year of high school, I volunteered at this 100 mile trail race north of, uh, Durango where I was living and it's this crazy race called the hard rock 100. It has, it's a hundred miles long and it has like 33,000 feet of climbing and the same feet of descent. And you go over a 14,000 foot peak. It's average elevation is like 11,000 feet. And I went out and volunteered at the 50 mile mark. And I, I would, and I spent all night giving people food and water and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, and so I just dove into it after that and I started doing these big runs and, uh, started doing some, some races and basically I had some success and just followed it as long as I could trying to like 
uh, compete in different races, trying to travel lots. And I've also been really into climbing, um, both rock climbing and like alpine climbing. So I've had some opportunities to climb like in the Alps and in Alaska. And uh, yeah, basically, I've just been trying to follow my mountain sports around the world. Dude, that's that's the dream. That's so cool. That uh, I was a big time snowboarder in high school. That's how I ended up in Utah. Nice. So like, um, not as extreme as as you or like didn't follow it as long. But yeah, that was that was the dream for a long time. I was like, I just want to spend all my time in the mountains. Yeah. And it's like, well, I feel like the passion is the same. Like there's a ton of similarities. Like your passion is for music and, and traveling in that regard. That's what causes you to go to these places. And for me, it happens to be like trail running and like these mountain adventures. And there's, I think there's a ton of overlap um, that gets people out the door. Even oh, totally. Doing different things. I totally 100% agree with that. And, um, as I've kind of started to become more health conscious the past couple of years and whatnot, I've been like kind of slowly entertaining the idea of like trying to do, you know, like you start running and you're like, Oh, how far can I go? And like, I, I totally. as someone who challenge like challenging myself is such a big part of my psyche and like how I stay sane. Um, I can totally see how eventually if you're in the type of shape or the type of person that could do it, you would take it to those extremes. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you're probably the kind of person who like gets into something 100% or really not at all. And okay. so, uh, yeah, there's a, it's a bit dangerous sometimes. Oh, for sure. That's, uh, I mean, I got re- like really into drinking for about 10 years. So, there you go. And, and then, and then I was like, oh, well, this isn't sustainable. No, so it'll take you places, but they're not always good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was never, never that bad, but it was finally one of those things of like, I'd rather wake up early and like feel good instead of it totally. being like such a chore, but, um, kind of moving backwards. Uh, I grew up in a, not, uh, definitely not Moab, Utah, but I grew up in a similar place where it was like, where like the locals from Phoenix would, or not the locals, the people from Phoenix had their summer cabins. They'd travel up during the summer to get, escape the heat. Um, like they'd come up to go skiing, snowboarding, like my town for a lot of them existed so they could go on vacation. Um, what was like, what was it like for you growing up in a place like Moab or, or Durango as well, where like, did you have, what was your mindset towards the tourists and the people that were just transient and coming through? You know, it's, it's funny, like as a kid, at least maybe it's different now, but when I was a kid, I mean, we knew it was the deal, like, but that was like all that I knew. You know, it's like I didn't really have this concept of some towns where it's like the industry is a university or an oil rig or whatever. Um, you know, for me, it's just like people made money in Moab by like having shops. Yeah, totally. Uh, or working at the national parks or whatever. Um, and for me, I mean, there's I definitely feel like there's a set, like a community in Moab that is kind of separate from the tourism side. You know, like people come to Moab and they, they, I've talked to many people who were like surprised to hear that there's like baseball teams and schools and stuff. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like a real town. It's just, you don't see that when you go there and like get groceries at city market and go camping for three days. Um, Totally. No, that's how my town was. A lot of people were like, oh, I've got our summer cabin here. And it's like bigger than any of the locals houses. It's not a summer cabin, dude. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I felt like it was just, I didn't notice it. It's not like I had a weird growing up experience at least i mean i only had my own growing up experience so it's hard to compare i guess totally that's uh that makes perfect sense and that it would make sense that uh 
that you'd be such an outdoorsman growing up in a place like Moab? And like, where did that start? Was it like a family thing or did you have a young, like a mentor at some point? Uh, you know, like where did your love for the outdoors and your comfortability with it start? I definitely got to credit my dad for that. That's where it came from. As when I was a kid, we'd go hiking all the time and he was really into hunting. We'd go hunting every fall. Um, and so, I mean, obviously not every weekend, but in my head, you know, at this point, however many years later, it's like, yeah, every weekend we would go mountain biking or hiking or um, just do some camping trip anywhere. And so I, I like climbed all the peaks in the LaSalle's by the time I was like 10 years old. And, you know, we'd go out into the canyon country. And what's funny is that I, at the time, I mean, I enjoyed it and I did it, but I, I also kind of dreaded it. Like my dad, often I'd t- like spend a night at my buddy's house on Friday night and my dad would pick me up on Saturday and we'd drive up into the mountains for the, some huge ass hike. And I was always like, oh man, it's going to be so long. I can't wait to be done. Uh, but, yeah, uh, totally. You know, yeah, totally. It's like, it's kids, you're not that into it. But then for whatever reason, I, I don't really know what did it, but I was just like, as I, maybe around my freshman year of high school, it just started to kind of switch for me where I was like excited about it. I think part of it was I took, when I moved to Durango, I guess my sophomore year of high school, I took like an outdoor ed class and we went rock climbing and did all this fun stuff. Um, and like have it, maybe it was like seeing all the same things my dad was into, but like in a different context, like with people who were my age and into it. Totally. No, it's, it's really interesting. Cause like, it doesn't matter what, doesn't matter what your dad does or who he is. He's still like your dad. Like it's, right. you gotta, you gotta get that validation from like, your peers in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I was really lucky, like you say, growing up in these places where there, I did have peers who were into these same sorts of things. Um, you know, I could see how other places, like if you grow up in a city and like you spend your vacations going out to the mountains and like doing these grueling death marches, like I could see how you'd grow up and not like that stuff. For sure. But yeah. for me, it worked out. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really cool that you had, uh, just from a young age where, where, exposed to it and and that it's something it's just become a part of you right in a not, way. A, not a lot of people get that i'm very lucky in that regard totally and i i mean i had a similar upbringing like up until my parents separated and or divorced or whatever you call it and i didn't really see my biological father anymore hmm. and and it kind of like i still you know we still did like hunted and 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 me and my friends would go fishing and whatnot but like the actual just like other than Boy Scouts, the actual, I don't know, outdoor activities didn't really like, I don't know how to put it. You know, it just didn't like happen. Like there was like snowboarding and then me and my friends like dicking around in the woods. Yeah. It's funny too. Cause like dicking around the woods kind of is what I do, <laughs> but totally it's just yeah. like a different form. Yeah. And it's, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the outdoor culture is not super embracing of like teenagers maybe, or uh, totally. the same, like, you know, you go in the outdoors and everybody's like, oh, I want to have this wonderful experience where I'm out with nature and appreciating flowers and views. And when you're a teenager, you're like, fuck that, dude. I'm going to go get drunk and play guitar. And that's cool, right? That's fun. Uh, you like want to go out with your buddies into like the woods and like have a bonfire and shoot your guns or whatever. You're from Arizona. That's what I imagine you did. Yes, there's, there's <laughs> plenty of shooting guns. Not while drinking, though. I've always been very careful with guns. Nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's important. Um but yeah, you know what I mean? It's like the, the culture of outdoor sports is, is often different from what you're into as a teenager. And so, uh, I don't know, maybe me like moving to Durango and like not having a ton of friends when I did that, maybe that helped me like 
be like, well, whatever, these guys are nerds, but at least they're friends. So totally. No, it's I mean, that's the that's the truth. If I if like so I, I played uh football in high school and that surprises a lot of people because I I'm can see st- that. I'm still not like the football type compared to like your your um whatever your your stereotypical jock is. But in my hometown, there wasn't a whole lot to do. And my best friend also played football and we both played the same position. So it was pretty much like after school, I just hung out with my best friend and got to like hit people for three hours. Fuck yeah, sign me up. You know, (laughs) and like, but like if I grew up in New York City, there's no way or any other like Texas or something where like real big people played football. There's no way I would have. I would have been like, fuck that. I'm going to skateboard. Yeah. Yeah, So (laughs) So it's like funny how you 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 end up doing what your friends are doing um, totally and so you said you were a sophomore in high school when you volunteered at the hard rock 100 is that what it's called uh yeah so i was it was right before my senior year oh before your senior year. Okay. yeah yeah and that was pretty revelatory for me because i was i was really into climbing at that point i wanted to be like one of these guys that climbs like these big snowy peaks and far off places um but you know it's like a pain in the ass to do that you have to like know how to climb you have to have partners to climb with you have to have all this expensive gear and know how to use it (laughs) you know it's pretty prohibitive to get into climbing it's not impossible i did it but it's like prohibitive but then i volunteered at this race and i was up at like ten thousand feet all night giving people food and water and i was like these guys are having an adventure this is what i want it's like i don't i don't need to have all this fancy climbing gear i can just put shoes on and i already live here like i can go do this yeah that's so cool. Yeah, I feel like that did change my life. <laughs> I feel lucky for that. No, that's a it's really interesting that there's like, you know, it's like a movie cliche or a trope. They're like, "Oh, there's there's four moments in every man's life." That, like, <laughs> you know, you know like but it's it's interesting to cuz like life's not like that. It doesn't it's not it's not Yeah, like, this is a retrospect kind of thing, right? No, no, totally. But it's also interesting to like, I can look back at very specific moments in my life that was like, I didn't realize it at the time, but that was a really formative moment. Like I had. Yeah. Tell me one. Like when when I was 21, I want to say 21, 22, the band I played in through most of high school and part of college broke up and I had kind of put like every bit of my, just everything into that. And I've, I've talked about this on other podcasts, but it was, it was kind of like, um, it was like a divorce when that band broke up and for like a 21, 22 year old mind to go through, that was really difficult. And I had an opportunity shortly after that, uh, to go travel Europe for a few weeks. Like my sister invited me, her friend had backed out and she's like, if you can come up with the money, you should come. And so I raked a ton of yards over the course of however many, um, uh, over the next six weeks or whatever, came up with the money and went and traveled Europe with her for like five weeks. And it was like oh, that's awesome. a tra- transformative experience. But I also had this choice of like going back to school or like continuing to play music. Like what, like I didn't know what the plan was. All I wanted to do was play music, but I knew societally and my parents wanted me to go finish school. And uh, at some point I was talking to my friend Preston who was like my friend's old, my friend Spencer's older brother, who pretty much like introduced me to punk rock and taught me, like, sh- like showed me Modest Mouse when I was in seventh grade, like shaped nice. my music taste. And he told me to read this book, The Savage Detectives, because I was like, I don't know, man, I just want to like make art and travel. That's all I want to do. I want to meet people, I yeah. be on the road. Like I don't, and I don't know, 
I don't know what that looks like because nobody in my life has ever done anything like that. And my parents are just like, you're fucking crazy. Yeah, <laughs> because- it's tough when your parents to tell you that too. Some are more supportive than others. Totally. Well, not that my parents weren't like, my parents loved me and supported me how they did, but it was more of like a, we're super blue collar. Like we, you work, you have a job, like you don't do things like traveling. Europe was like, what you're going to go travel Europe. Like that was mind blowing for my family, you know? (laughs) And, and so like, um, I don't know. I read that book, the savage detectives, because it was pretty much, you know, Roberto Bolaño, like talking about him and his friends in Mexico city in the seventies, kind of doing the same thing and just taking off and deciding to do it. And it like, reading that book while simultaneously deciding to go back to school um, and like realizing like, I'm going to finish school because that's what society and mom wants me to do, even though I don't want to do it. And it's probably the wrong choice. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And then it's like fucking music. That's, that's just the plan. And like, seems like you've done that (laughs) essentially like whether or not I knew I made that decision then, like now I can look back on it and be like, yeah, that's, that's kind of what happened. Yeah. Decisions like that are so hard. I mean, there's never going to be like a way to know for sure if that's the right thing. And you basically just have to like hope, like make the best decision you can and hope for the best. Totally. I I don't know. Like, I feel like I've had some crossroads in my life kind of like that, where I'm like, I honestly have no real idea, but it's way better to choose the wrong thing than to choose nothing. I think. No, exactly. That's uh, it's something I've been trying to really live by more recently is like make the decision and then course correct down the road. Yeah. Cause totally. like, cause I'm the type of person that'll overthink a decision for weeks, months, however long I let myself do it because I kind of get addicted to the whole anxiety of not knowing. And it's like, well, the productive and real adult thing to do is just make the choice and go with it and then adjust down the road. Mm-hmm. Totally. And it, it, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting, interesting place to be. So when you were at that, at that race, you just saw, you're just like, like, how did you know that you were like, I'm capable of running a hundred miles? Like, like (laughs) that's, that's kind of insanity. Yeah. Well, I think that I'm for one, like kind of unrealistically optimistic a lot of the time. And I think that's allowed me to do really cool things. I think it's also allowed me to fucking fail many times. Uh, uh, me too. Very yeah. similar in that regard. Totally. <laughs> um, but the idea was that, so what I, in high school in cross country, I ran cross country in high school. I ran, I played football like you. And then in eighth grade football, it was when we had the first time where it was like, instead of a bunch of teams with my friends, you know, we we're like one team, we played other towns. And I, uh, it was eighth grade and all of a sudden everybody was a foot taller than me and I just got totally steamrolled the entire season. (laughs) And, uh, then, but one time we pissed, one day we pissed the coach off a lot at practice and he made us like take our shoulder pads and helmets off and run like two miles to the top of this hill and then back. And I remember I just like, I cruised by everybody. I was like the ahead of, I mean, I was like the first by miles and I wasn't, didn't even feel like I was trying. And I remember leaving practice that day and thinking, you know, I'm a lot better at running than playing football. <laughs> um, and so I, I ran cross country the following year when high school started and I liked it a lot. It was like super cool group of people. It was awesome. Cause there were girls on the team, you know, football doesn't have that. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. I just had like the best time. And then I got really excited about it. And in Moab, there's these half marathons that happen. There's like one in the spring, one in the fall. 
And I was like, hell, just give it a shot. And so I went and ran 13 miles when I was like 14 uh, at this race. And I remember it was really tough, but I did it and I liked it. And so I kind of kept doing that through high school. Like every year I do those two half marathons. Um, uh-huh. And so I was already getting into like these newer, these are these like longer runs. Okay. Even though for so me now, it's like, yeah, like half marathon is not that far for like compared to a hundred miles, but still it's like when you're getting into running, it's a big, it's a big deal, you know? Yeah. I still haven't, I still haven't done one. I need to schedule one. Um, yeah. I, it's, I started, it's great. I started running like six months ago and, uh, I did like 11 miles like a month or so ago and then I've been kind of slacking. So, well, that's good. I mean, running is, especially when you're getting into running after a long time away, it can be really unpleasant. Uh, when people talk about the euphoria of running, I think that you have to build up to that over a while. Oh yeah. It took me a long time. Like the first two months of like, and this was me running like four or five days a week. Cause I'm just like an obsessive person. And if yeah. I don't like it, it just, it just yeah, healthier for me habit. to do it. Yeah, totally. And then, um, cause if I build the habit and then slack off for two weeks, cause I'm working on music stuff, I know I'm like, Oh, I like that running thing. I'll go back to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once you build those habits, like I, I find that, you know, you're, you're working on music, you know, I'm working, I guess on math these days, but I find if I get up and run or if I have like running a part of my routine each day, even if it's a little bit, it makes me better at everything else. Uh, yeah. that definitely doesn't happen when you first start running, but it, it I think it's a hallmark of exercise in general. I agreed. Every time I talk to someone, cause like I said before, like drinking was my pri- drinking and playing music was my priority for a long time. And nice. now feeling good and playing music is definitely much more of the priority. And, and that transition has been over the past couple of years um, and getting comfortable with exercising again, when I haven't really exercised purposefully since high school was just fucking brutal. And I try and tell people, I'm like, I'm like, if you can get through two weeks, it's going to get easier. But if you can get through two months, it's like, it's your favorite thing you do besides eating. Totally. Like, it's it's and it it's makes crazy. eating that much better. It makes eating better, and it also like I'm I'm like I deal with like some intense mood swings, like depression and things like that. And and it's like I manage my shit so much better when I'm like I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling crazy. Like throw on your shoes and go for a run, and you come back and you're like, oh, everything's fine. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it, it's I can't believe I went an effect it has. Yeah, I can't believe I went that long without it at being so much more of a central part of my life but but that's a kind of a tangent uh yeah so anyway i was uh doing these half marathons through high school um and i was psyched and i I did a triathlon too you know i was like i'm just gonna try it all fuck it uh and uh but then really what kind of did it was i was really getting into like this climbing into like rock climbing and stuff over my over high school and then Right before I volunteered at the Hard Rock, my dad and I went camping up in Silverton, which is the area where the race is held, for like about a week. And um, I like suddenly it kind of opened up to me. I started actually, I felt it's an interesting point. That was actually where I stopped hiking with my dad and started like leaving him behind and going farther and stuff. But I started like opened up and realized like, look, there are ridges everywhere. There are peaks everywhere and I can climb them all. And so I'd get, I'd like look at the map and be like, oh my God, I'm going to go here to here to here to here. And it was just suddenly like this switch of possibility opened up. And I was like, I'm going to do it all. And I started doing these really big hikes 
like the whole week before I was doing these like hikes where I'd connect like four 12,000 foot peaks or something along this ridge and be out for like seven hours. And I was super fired up about it. And then, and then right after that, I went and volunteered and saw these people doing the same thing, but way, way, way bigger. And I was like, okay, that's where I'm going (laughs) for sure. That's really cool. And so you, you signed up for the one the next year. Was that your first like big race? So it took a while. So hard rock is like, you have to qualify to even enter. And then it's hard oh, okay, to get in because cool. there's like 2000 people that enter every year for 150 spots. I'm so I- ignorant. So yeah, please tell me more about that. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, a totally a niche sport, but, but yeah. So anyway, that fall I was like, I need to get some experience and I was just into it. So I, I volunteered or I signed up for a 50 K so it's like 31 miles. And, okay. uh, I remember I was like running cross country too. And I kind of sacrificed my season without realizing it because I was doing cross country training, but I was also training for 50 K. So I'd like get up in the morning and run 15 miles and then go train in the afternoon with the team. Uh, oh no, you're yeah. in, that's insane. That's yeah. an insane thing to do. It was, it was not good. We were a very good cross country team. And then I did that. And suddenly my, by the time we went to the state meet, my team, my 5k time was a minute slower. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. I, I, that was a learning experience. I kind of feel bad about that still. But then I went and I got like third, I think, at this 50k, which wasn't that competitive, but still, it was my first ultra marathon. It felt like a big deal to me. Yeah, that is a big deal. I was psyched. Yeah, and so then I signed up for another one in Moab a few months later, that February, and did 50k out there again, and then did my first 50 mile race the next spring in uh, in May and. By that point, I was hooked. You know, I got second at the 50 mile race, and I was like, "I'm going to be the best I can be. I'm going to do everything I can to be good at this." Um, That's really cool. And so, from there, like, how did? Sorry, keep going. Did was that part of the qualifier? Was that 50 mile? Oh well, so no, those actually weren't qualifiers at all. So the only way to qualify for Hard Rock is to run a, a hundred mile race, and it has to be a specific 100 mile race that they that they like they have a list of them. Um, and it's the list got a lot shorter a few years ago too. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so what was that? That was 2009. I graduated high school. And so then, uh, that was when I did my, I did my first 50 mile race, like the week before I graduated high school. And then, uh, I actually went to Europe, just not running, just traveling for like a month, just kind of like you probably mm-hmm. <laughs> that summer. Yeah. Um, but anyway, then I was like, I, I, I don't know. I was super ambitious and I reached out to like every brand I knew of asking for sponsorship and it worked. One of them, this company Montreal gave me some products, not money. They just gave me products and I was psyched to get free shoes and stuff. And so, uh, the end of 2010, in 2010, I did a ton of racing. And I think that was kind of this point where I, you know, like as musicians, you know, you just got to like travel, go on the road and play a ton of shows and play your guitar all the time. And that's how you, it's like not always pleasant, but you gained a ton of experience. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And like, there's always this, this period where you're just getting after it. And that's kind of my time when I was doing that for running is I was racing a lot and I would never race that much now because it would just burn me out so much. But I mean, in 2010, I I did 50K in in February, like I think a 50K in March and then a hundred K no 50 mile in April, hundred K in, in May and like what like a 50 miler yeah 50 miles in june and july and then i was psyched and i was like i'm just gonna go for it in uh in september of 2010 and so i signed up for this race a 100 mile race in utah from uh from logan over to bear lake in idaho oh really yeah and uh 
Yeah, it was funny. Uh, actually, yeah. So I was just racing a ton. I was really into it and I was going hard at every race and there was always like this point where I'd blow up. Um, and it's cool to see now, like if I compare the results, like over a matter of years or a matter of races, I would like blow up a little later each time. And so, you know, by by blow up, you mean like, just like you hit the wall. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to explain, but you know, I would just go out as hard as I can basically. I mean, within reason, like I know it's 50 mile race or whatever the distance is. And so I'm trying to, I'm not running like a hundred meters, but I definitely was always running at a pace that is beyond what I think is sustainable for the distance, but I'm kind of just trying to keep up with the front people. And that's just how you race. You know, you go to what you know you can do and then you go farther and hope you can hang on. Totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you can hang on and sometimes you can't. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of a day by day thing, but you know, I gained experience that way. And so anyway, in 2010, September, I, I struggled through my first hundred mile race. It took me 22 hours. Um, and that was a cool experience uh but that sounds like a cool experience i mean it sounds like a grueling awful like like type two fun are you familiar with type two oh, fun? yeah for sure yeah, i'm very yeah. familiar with that <laughs> yeah i was just are you familiar with the term it sounds like your life is type two fun. yeah yeah definitely now that, that was a fun race like the 100 mile race the first one because i got my buddy ian who was living in salt lake to come up and be my crew and so we drove up and like they start the race in a parking lot. This isn't like a big deal sport. We th- we started the race in a parking lot and I just slept in the parking lot in the back of my truck the night before. Um, and they woke us up basically by setting up. And then at like 5 or 6 a.m., you just start running off in the mountains and they have aid stations. Um, and my friend Ian just like met me at each aid station. But I was just like, I was trying to go real mellow. And I remember like for the first 20 miles, I went real slow. And I was feeling really good. And so then I was 20 miles in and I was like, oh, I feel great. I'm going to go hard now. And uh, that turned out to be a big mistake. I ran hard for like 20 miles. And then I was like 40 miles in and I realized I'm not even halfway. And I'd already run a super long distance and it was hot out. It's the afternoon. And I'm like, oh my God, this is going to go on forever. Uh, yeah. So what, what's your mind thinking about at this point? So you're like 40 miles into a hundred mile race. Like what's going through your mind at this point? I mean, everything. It's funny. That was 10 years ago. So I don't remember exactly what was going through my mind. But, you know, your mind goes all over the place. You think about conversations. You think about things you want to do. You think about things you did. You think about where you're at, how you feel. Um, And, and, you know, it's important to keep in mind a lot of these races, like these are trail races. There's a lot of hiking involved. It's called trail running. But oftentimes the most efficient and fastest way to move forward is just hiking. Just scrambling up a hill or... Yeah, or even just walking up a trail. You'll see that. I mean, at tons of ultra marathons, like people are hiking more time, I think, than they are running a lot. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, I mean, it depends. You know, the fast guys at a fast 50-mile race are going to run every step. But, yeah. Anyway, I was hiking a lot. And so, anyway, I was just... I feel like it's probably kind of meditative. I don't really know what you think about when you run, but you're just kind of moving along. And I didn't feel good when I reached halfway. And then I... You know, at each aid station, I, it's nice. It buoys you up. It gives there's people there. They talk to you. It gives you a bit of like motivation. I had some food at 50 miles, and then I ran to the next aid station. Was I don't know, maybe 60 miles. I think it was around 60 miles when it was getting dark. And okay. yeah, my friend had not. He had. I think he was supposed to be at that aid station, and he didn't make it there. Oh no! <laughs> and so I was. Uh, 
a little concerned, but more just focused on moving forward. And so a, a different friend who was crewing a different person gave me a shirt to wear in the dark. And uh, I had my headlamp and, you know, you just like, then it gets dark. It's the weirdest thing, you know, when you realize like you watch the sun come up while you're running and you're still running and watch the sunset. And you're like, wow, I've just run all day long. Oh my God. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds insane. That's like, it's, it's making me like, I want to do that, but also I don't want to do that. You know? I know. Type two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to experience that. I want to look back on that experience, but like, actually going through it is like and whether my body could hold up or not is like a whole other thing it's amazing what your body can do like any success i've had as an athlete was never because i'm like that much better than everybody else it's only because i didn't stop i could point to even like these every now and then i've i've got a few like good races i had like in europe where i like won a big race and it was only because i didn't stop (laughs) there it is that's my perception of it uh no I, I think that's that's the most it's like it's the most literal best advice you can give someone as far as a race but also like in life like it's like well the only it's like a cliche but it's like just keep fucking going totally yeah i <laughs> yeah. mean your your podcast is all about being on the road and that's what it's about you know you get out on the road and it's sometimes euphoric and amazing but a lot of the time it's also boring or sad or homesick or scary even <laughs> i don't know and yeah it, it's everything. And, it's, it's every part of the spectrum. Yeah. And like, whether it's good or bad, you got to keep moving forward. <laughs> There's no stopping if you're not at home, right? No, that's, it's the truth. And that like, it's actually in the weirdest way, the, the exactly what I needed to hear this week. Nice. Cause I'm just facing a week of like sad burnout, you know, yeah. like, like had, like nothing bad really essentially happened other than like I went really hard last week trying to do this music video and I think it turned out great, but I essentially spent like seven, 12 hour days on it in a row. And this week I'm, I can't, I can't focus this week. And it's like, yeah, cause you just went really hard for a week straight. Like it's okay, dude. Totally. Just keep going. Like, yeah. And that's the thing is like, you know, that logically you're like, it's okay. There's a lot of reasons for this. But you don't feel it. You just feel like a dirtbag or a loser sometimes. It's, oh, the same, it's the same thing in like microcosm on a trail race when you have a low point. And it's often just because you haven't eaten enough lately. Like that's mm-hmm. the one thing you can do in a trail race is like just eat regularly. Um, that'll help you make it feel good. But, you know, you're going along and I'm like hiking up a mountain or whatever. And it's the middle of the night and I'm, it's dark and I'm cold and lonely. and I'm fucking exhausted and I'm just over <laughs> it. And uh, <laughs> it's like... I know why I feel bad I'm just because I've run 70 miles and I'm tired and I'm hungry, but I also know that I'm capable of finishing what I started. Um, totally. But you know, the like academic knowledge, I know I'm capable of this is really hard to translate into this, the motivation to keep moving forward. And I think that's where experience comes in is that, you know, once you've done that, once you have overcome those like unpleasant experiences, just by moving forward, that gives you the faith to keep doing it. I think it's really hard for people to overcome really big things the first few times. Totally. Well, and well, cause the, the more you step out of your comfort zone, the bigger your comfort zone grows. It's just that it's the nature of the beast. Yeah. So like if you've never, it's like when I'm telling people that are getting first into yoga or working out or whatever, it, it's that same thing of like, 
you'll you'll grow and adapt to it, but you have to know physically and mentally that you're capable of it. Otherwise you're going to just stay within that same bubble or that same cyclical experience that you've been having over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. I feel like people are always looking for happiness and there's all these books there. And I think that the secret to happiness is being okay with being unhappy. Not, not, yeah, not necessarily because being unhappy is it being happy or whatever, some sort of Buddhist thing like that. But I think that you can't really be, I think you can only be as unhappy. I think you can only be as happy as you're willing to be unhappy. Like, I think it has to be commensurate. It's like a wave. You can only go as high as you're willing to go low, you know? Yeah, no, I agree with you. That's a, that's a really good sentiment, like a really good point. And I, I agree with that sentiment a lot. I think, um, I think, man, it's, it's, it's like the same thing as uh, like how deep the how deep does the rabbit hole go as far as like anything you know knowledge as far as engineering you say you've been doing math nonstop because you're studying engineering right totally. now and it's like uh, uh, yeah I, I don't know how I'm trying to translate that it's um, the same thing it's like there I've it's probably been the hardest thing I've ever done even though I'm like in the house all the time like that's half of it probably actually because it's frustrating yeah. but. But I'm like, I'm working incredibly hard on something I'm not good at or not known to be good at. You know, I never did math. I got like a D in trigonometry and now I have to do trigonometry every day. Um, but I do it and I just keep plugging away and I keep moving forward. And it's it's incredibly validating even just a year in to to realize like I got good grades and it's not because I was better at math. You know, I'm not like naturally suited to math or naturally unsuited. I just worked hard at it and just didn't stop. And it's the totally. same in like this trail race. You know, I'm going uphill at 70 miles in in the middle of the night by myself. And I was feeling grim. And uh, I came into this aid station. No, it was 80 miles. And I was like, I'm getting close, but damn, 20 miles more. Jesus. You know, and it's, I was actually went. you go through this spot, which I've heard is actually one of the coldest parts of Utah. It's like this, it's like this basin, but it's in the mountains. So it just keeps all this cold air. And I, you know, you come through and I'm freezing my ass off and I stop at this aid station. They have a fire and it's the middle of the night and there's like two people manning the aid station. And I was like, oh my God, am I ever going to get through this? And, uh, and then a friend of mine who was also running the race, he had been behind me for miles and he caught up to me there and he was like, Hey, how are you doing? And I said, Scott, I'm not doing too well. And he's like, you should come run with me. And I was like, you're right. I should. And he's like, okay, let's go. And he walked out of the aid station and I'm sitting in a chair next to a fire. <laughs> oh, and I'm no. like, Oh God, now, but I did it, you know? So I yeah. got up and I walked out and he ended up like saving the day. Like, I mean, just having him to talk to for the last 15 or 20 miles got me there. So. Yeah. That's uh it's, it's setting yourself up for that moment of like, like you only needed him to help you through the last 20, 15, 20 miles, you know, like you got yourself to that point. And yeah. And that's like, I didn't have those experiences yet of overcoming this deep fatigue or deep uncertainty and having mm -hmm. him there to kind of show me how to do it was a way to build that yeah. strength. And now I can, now I feel comfortable. Well, it's not like it's comfortable, but I, I feel like I'm capable of overcoming that without external help now, at least at totally. that exact specific pursuit you know there are many things in my life that i need help with still uh totally no and that's i mean that humility um is one of the blessings of of age i think um yeah it doesn't it's not that not that everyone gets it um you know not that everyone 
is humbled, but I think it's, it's one of the blessings for me as I get older is like, mm. is realizing the things I don't need help with anymore while accepting the things that I'm going to need help with forever. Yeah. Yeah. That's really um, valuable. Yeah. Well, and so, okay. So, uh, or do you want to finish tell, like, is there a f- end to that story of that specific race? Um, so not too much. I mean, I finished it. I just ran with him to the finish. Um, I do remember there was a kind of what I thought was funny is like we finished the race at like four thirty in the morning or something. And it's such a low, low key event. You come down and you to this Lake bear Lake. And, uh, there was like, I think they like deputized this high school kid to take times. Cause there's basically like a kid asleep on a table and we're like, Hey, hey buddy, I think we finished. And he's like, yeah, good job. And he like wrote our times down and, and then went back <laughs> to sleep. You know, this is how important my sport is. Uh, <laughs> Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah, and then, uh, so then I was, I was with my friend Scott and he had a wife and a kid and then they were there and they were like, good job, everybody. And we kind of sat down together and chatted. And then it's, you know, by that point it's five in the morning, it's still dark out. And so Scott and his family go off to wherever they're staying. And I was just sitting in this chair and all of a sudden I got super cold because I just run a hundred miles and I, you know, your, your body's like having trouble dealing with all kinds of temperature swings and everything. And I got like shivering, like violently. And I, my buddy who had been crewing me, I learned later, he was basically like 20 feet away in the parking lot, but I didn't know where he was. It was dark out. I didn't know where any of my stuff was. And I was kind of starting to panic. I was like shivering almost uncontrollably. And so I was like, I kind of got up and I was like walking around trying to figure something out. And I saw a sleeping bag on the ground and it was empty. And I was like, I think somebody just got up to pee. And I just straight up didn't even take my shoes off. just got into their sleeping bag. (laughs) And I was like lying there just trying to warm up long enough so that when they came back, I'd be able to like function better and go somewhere else. Um, But it was like this total moment of panic where I was lying in there waiting for somebody to come back and flip out at me for getting in their sleeping bag. Um, Fortunately, turned out that they actually put those sleeping bags out there for that exact reason. (laughs) Oh, really? So I didn't steal anybody's sleeping bag. <laughs> uh, that's that's it speaks volumes to the level of like discomfort, like how bad it was, yeah, was that you were willing to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's, I would never do that normally. <laughs> no, I, and from what I know of you, you wouldn't, and most people wouldn't. That that speaks volumes as to as to like how uncomfortable you were. God, that's that's crazy. Yeah, it was funny too because I think my buddy Ian was sleeping in the truck and then he got up. And I must have passed out a little bit. I felt like I just laid there shivering for two hours as the sun came up. But apparently I passed out because he walked over and checked on me and he saw I was fine and walked back to the truck. And he told me that later. And I was like, dude, I was more uncomfortable than I've ever been in my life. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, man. That's, that's so funny. I'm, I'm glad we can look back totally. on that 10 years later. <laughs> yeah yeah it's good like, it was a cool experience you know it's like not something you get to do every day <laughs> no not not at all i remember in in boy scouts when i was like 13 or whatever we went on this hike over spring break and like this freak snowstorm came in in the mountains in arizona and just like nice overnight dumped like two feet on us and then we were in like full survival yeah mode, like um and had to like I, well, we, I mean, pretty much I had to start a fire in like this, this cold, wet stuff. I'm like 13 years old. I'm the oldest of the kids that like got to this certain spot where the other guys like went to get the truck. And 
I don't know. I still just remember that whole thing of like, just being like, okay, I'm going to start a fire. I'm going to do this thing like moment by moment being like as uncomfortable as I've ever right. been, but like, moment, like knowing like, okay, this is the next thing you do. And the next thing you do, or like, it, I don't know. I think it's just pure instinct. Yeah. Too. It can clarify it, but some people can't really deal with that. They panic and get paralyzed. You know what, what your reaction was, was to like actually take steps to keep moving forward. And that's crucial in a moment like that. Well, that's a, it's interesting. You say that. Cause like, I've never, I never really noticed that until like after those moments, like when I'm in those moments, mm-hmm. uh, like just crazy accidents happen. And I, I'm like the one that's like, you go get this call 911, totally. blah, blah, blah. Like on multiple occasions that's happened for me. And like, I know like now you, you've been doing a lot of volunteering with search and rescue there in, uh, or like training mm-hmm. as far as um, like what, uh, and this is kind of skipping ahead, but like, Talk to me a little bit about that, how you got into search and rescue and like responses in those types of situations. Yeah, like you say, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, I don't know, but it, it does seem to be a thing in our society where it's like we know that some people can handle bad situations like that and some people tend to devolve into followers or panic. Um, and I don't know what I am, but uh, yeah, I got involved with search and rescue in Bozeman, um, probably the original um it, like motivation or inspiration to do that was when uh what four or five years ago four four years ago i was up in canada with some friends and we were doing this uh big traverse um this place called rogers pass which is the continental divide and it's like rogers pass is is a major pass there's like the trans canada highway which goes from east coast to west coast and it goes right over mm-hmm. rogers pass but rogers pass is like one of the premier backcountry skiing destinations in canada because you can access pretty high elevations through the pass um and the snow is just incredible. There's big, big glaciers there, and the rock is amazingly good. And so I was there in the summer for skiing or for running and climbing, though. Um, and we, me and my friends, were trying to do this big traverse of the of one side of the range, um, which is great because the rock is really good, and you get to go up over these a bunch of really steep peaks. And there's like some climbing involved. You know, we were going to do some climbing up to like fifth class, like low fifth class, but we had definitely brought some gear for some of the harder sections. Um, okay. And it was really fun. We were out, um, we were supposed to be out all day, but anyway, we were going up an easy peak and we weren't roped up. Um, and easy is like scrambly. Like there was, you know, it's the kind of thing where there's exposure, you can fall, but you know, it's easy stuff. You don't fall. Uh, but my Mm -hmm. one friend pulled on the wrong rock and it came off and pulled him with it. And he tumbled a long way down the mountainside and got really hurt. (laughs) And yeah. And so I was ahead with, there were three of us and I was ahead with the other guy and we basically watched this, this happen. And, um, and he turned out, you know, he was alive, but he was really broken. And so we had to go down there and like call search and rescue. And we got like a full on heli evac out of there. Um, and he like, long story short, he he's okay. Now he actually ran this hard rock hundred mile race the following year. <laughs> so that was good. Yeah. But he, he like broke his back in multiple places. He broke, uh, his ankle. He, I think he broke his pelvis. He definitely cut his pelvis like really, really bad. Broke a wrist. You know, he was all torn up. And so, yeah, like going through that experience was really powerful because I think I was getting older now and like a little bit less reckless maybe in the mountains. But yeah. there was like this moment I especially remember where I'm sitting with Adam because, you know, the other guy, they were two, the two guys I was with were Canadians. And so I, I let the other guy handle the calls 
not that not uh-huh. that it would have been that big of a deal, but I was like, I don't know how to call it. They don't have nine one one. What is it in Canada? So whatever. Yeah. They they did it. Um and so I was sitting with Adam as he was as we're waiting for the heli to come get us. And uh he was conscious, you know, he was talking, but in clearly a lot of pain. And I remember watching the helicopter rise up to us and they did this thing called a short haul. So there was a rope hanging below the helicopter. And at the end of this rope was a guy, a search and rescue guy. And they land that the helicopter doesn't actually land. They just kind of like bring the rope until that guy's touching the ground. He unclips, sets everything up with the patient and then reclips in and the helicopter takes away. Um, so nobody, they don't get pulled into the helicopter. They just get taken. Yeah, they don't get pulled in the helicopter right away. Um, it's a wild experience. <laughs> yeah, so they like, they're, I see the helicopter coming up at us. And below it is this long line and the dude on the end of the line. Um, and it's just like this insane mountain backdrop. There's like a big glacier and all these sharp peaks and perfect blue sky and this helicopter rising slowly up. And below it is like this little G.I. Joe hanging from a rope. And I was like, what is that guy thinking? You know, like he knew, like he doesn't know what's going on really. He knows that there's been an accident. He knows that a person is very hurt. You know, can you imagine being on that line and being about to show up and you have to figure it out and fix it? (laughs) I was like, that must, I I was like, you couldn't stop. I was like, I couldn't do that. That is so scary. So much pressure. Is that the challenge that made you be like, okay, I got to do it? <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's like I kept thinking about that for days and days and even weeks afterward. And I was like, you know what? Somebody has to do that. There's God. There's always has to be somebody to do that. And I think that I actually could do that. And so I, I don't know, but I want to try. Um, and so, yeah, over the last few years, I've tried to like get training to become prepared to do that. And I took a technical rescue course. Um, last year, I got certified as an EMT, a wilderness EMT. So it's like a little broader. Um, and then I, I tried to join the search and rescue in Durango, but I wasn't around enough. But now that I'm in Bozeman and I'm going to school, I'm around all the time. <laughs> so, yeah. So I joined the team and uh, I haven't really been on any calls yet here, but uh, I think that the, uh, like the trainings that I've had, like becoming an EMT or getting technical rescue training, working with the search and rescue team. I think one of the best things about it is that it teaches you kind of like in addition to the skills to help people, it also teaches you that like there's only so much you can do. And, you know, there's a point where you're going to like where you just I think it takes a lot of confidence and experience to be able to say I've done everything I can for a patient. And and if that's not enough, then it's not my fault. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's a really hard thing to do. But if you don't have this training, if you're in a car accident, if you're in a mountain accident, whatever, and you see all this happening, you're panicking. You don't know what to do. You're afraid to do the wrong thing. You're trying to help. And then if something goes wrong, it's like you feel guilty for it. And, you know, I'm sure that even for EMTs and paramedics, there's always an element of guilt, but it's, uh, it's an intense thing, but it's, it's just one more of these things where it's, uh, it's worth the challenge. It's worth the stress and the fear and the uncertainty because I feel like it's the right thing to do. And this is more straightforwardly right. You know, it's like I'm helping people. Obviously, that's the right thing to do. Whereas like going for mountain run, I'm like, I, I guess it's the right thing to do, whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's there's something really valuable in what you said about like like knowing when you've knowing and accepting when you've done everything you can. Yeah. Um and I, I mean, and this is like obviously a totally different situation. Um, but in life, like 
there, there's something like one of my, I don't know if I'd call it a mantra, but just a, a thing I've been thinking about a lot, especially with COVID and everything that's gone on this year is like the terms, like just the idea of surrendering. Um, you know, there's just, there's things that you just have no control over and, right. and, and fighting them or beating yourself up over them or whatnot is only just causing more trouble, like surrendering to its definitely accept, accepting it is like, there's a real skill and value. And um, I don't know that that'd be an interesting thing. Or it's, it's interesting that you said that that's something that's come up with this training. That's, that's something that w- was a lot important for me. I don't know if it's as important for other people, but um, you know, even as an EMT, I took a lot of training, but it's, you can't do that much. I'm not giving a patient drugs. I'm not, you know, I'm not setting broken bones or whatever. I mean, that was part of the training, but you only do that in the backcountry. But, um, but yeah, it's like, I'm not doing that much, but it gives you like the confidence to know the limits of what you're allowed to and capable of safely doing, you know? And so then if like somebody's got a serious problem that you can't fix, you know, like then you're able to know in the moment that it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. And, and I've heard that a lot that in these really, really intense moments that the way you deal with it in the moment can have a lot to do with how you kind of come to terms with it after the experience. And especially for people who are experiencing the accident themselves. And so mm-hmm. one thing they teach you as an EMT is to kind of empower the patient a lot and ask them questions and get them involved in their own kind of recovery, because that will help them kind of make sense of it better later. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. That's essentially like what my therapist does. Yeah. You know, yeah, there just, you go. yeah, you're like going through this thing, even if it's not like quite as acute as like a car accident or whatever, you know, you're going to therapy because it's something that like you're on this kind of, I don't know, negative path at a certain point and you need to empower yourself to move beyond it. Yeah. Well, and, and they, and like nobody can give you those tools or tell you how to move beyond it, but they can help you like explore the area playing like hot or cold until you kind of figure it out in a way. Yeah. And it, you know, cause, cause it's not my therapist's job to tell me what to do. It's her job to help me figure out like how, I mean, how I, f- how I feel about it, you know, or like, right. and how to, how to respond you know, positively or how to respond and and not react to those emotions. Yeah, totally. I think that's really valuable. Anyway, I feel like I'm rambling, but uh, I hope it makes some sense. That's what, that's what a podcast is, uh, is <laughs> rambling. That's why, that's why I started this was like, I want, I want the most fun way for me to like create easy content. Nice. <laughs> like, I want to talk with people about stuff I love talking about. And record it and just throw it on the internet and hopefully people enjoy it. Yeah. I bet they um, I listen to it. Yeah, I, I mean, podcasts. yeah, I like podcasts. This is essentially my ideas. I mean, I'm essentially just ripping off like a million other podcasts with this idea, but it's my own version. It's my own personal idea, you know? Totally. It's uh, at least format wise, I guess I'm ripping it off. But uh, jumping really quick, I want to jump back to to racing a little bit and as far as like, here you are 10 years later, have you, you don't like last time I saw you, you were recovering from an injury. So running mm-hmm. wasn't really an option. Um, are you, you're still, are you still kind of easing into that or? No, I feel good now. I'm psyched. Yeah. I've been having a kick-ass summer. <laughs> That's awesome. 
yeah i haven't had any racing because covid shut it down but it's almost good it's like there's no pressure there's no racing i train sometimes i did an interval workout yesterday but for the most part i'm just like in this new state in these new mountains and they're enormous and wonderful and i just spend the weekends going to a new place and going big <laughs> i love it that's i'm so jealous i i uh i mean i don't know if jealous is the right word i i've made my choices and i'm here in new york and i love that but i right. like bozeman is one of the top five places or montana in general that anytime i'm like playing escapism that's like essentially what yeah. you're doing minus the school thing is what i want my life to look like at some point Totally. Yeah. Come visit. On the weekend. Yeah. I I mean, it's, you've given me a lot to think about as far as, as far as running races. Like I'm not, cause I'm a competitive person and I don't, I haven't really gotten any sort of competitiveness since high school, like high school sports. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, music is really competitive, but it's way less quantifiable. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've always tried to approach music as far as, like competitive with myself, yes, and sometimes yeah. competitive with some close friends as far as like challenging each other. But like I've always tried to approach it as no, a non-competitive thing because it's like it's just so relative and open to interpretation that yeah, that's probably healthy. Co- competition in music can get really toxic really quick. Yeah. Um, but I, I would like to talk to you as you get older. What's your like? What's your recovery days or like? What is your body like recovering from a hundred mile race? Like, what does that look like? Um, it takes a while. I think that people don't quite uh, accept how long it takes a lot of the time. I definitely think our sport has a kind of a culture of overtraining. Um, okay. Yeah, you'll see like road marathoners, the elites. They'll do two races in a year, and that's a lot. And I I know many ultra marathoners who'll do 10 ultras in a year and 10 10 ultras yeah it's just a thing what what constitutes an ultra marathon technically it's anything longer than a marathon anything longer it's a a 26.2 miles yeah it's a pretty arbitrary distinction but uh seems to you know draw a line somewhere um i'm gonna i'm gonna go run 26.3 miles and call myself an ultra mile technically yeah (laughs) uh yeah, it's totally true. It, it is all random. And, and that's why I say like mountain runner, trail runner, because I, I like doing short races. I like doing long races. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's like as far as recovery, I think that a lot of the, my injuries stemmed from overtraining. I would get these. Oh. I've had lots of, well, probably three or four big injuries that took out, prevented me from competing for a total of like three or four years. Over the, oh really? Yeah, and it's been really tough coming to terms with that. And I think a lot of it had to do with overtraining. And I think it's partly because I had these opportunities starting my early twenties to like actually make a living as a runner. And when I say that, let's keep it in perspective. I'm not LeBron James. I'm making barely above the poverty line here. But totally. <laughs> you know, I'm like living in my truck basically, and it's fine. <laughs> and I I just get to travel. I have I've had amazing opportunities to like go around the world for free. You know, I've like raced in Japan and Australia and Korea and all over Europe. Like it's amazing. That uh, is amazing. I'm so lucky. And so I see this and I'm like, look, I get to make money doing this. I get to travel. I need to do the best I possibly can. And it's so easy to fall into this trap of training. You're like, where more is always better. I'm going to make the most of this. And so I'm going to be the most fit. I'm going to be the strongest guy. And then you go out there and at least in my experience, I was the best at training. And then I show up at the race and I'm just exhausted. (laughs) And best case scenario, I'm just exhausted where I can't even compete. And worst case scenario, I show up and I'm hurt or I get hurt at the race. 
Um, and yeah, that's real. That's super real. Totally. And so that's what happened a lot is that I would like get these little stress fractures or like tear a ligament or whatever. Um, and then I'd be out for several months and it's been really tough to come to terms with that. And so, um, I kind of think that actually going to school and stepping away from like the competitive atmosphere a little more is probably going to make me a better athlete. <laughs> I certainly feel healthier and stronger than I have in a long time. Basically I'm running less. I do some intensity. I do some long runs. I also bike a lot more. I have like way more time on the bike than I used mm-hmm. to because it's just less pounding. Um, and I'm also totally comfortable with taking two full days off. <laughs> Like whatever, I'd rather be less fit and more healthy. <laughs> no, totally. That's uh, that's there's that's very real. That's in my my getting back into whatever active lifestyle I I am. I, I notice it's very cyclical for me. Whereas like sometimes I'll just hit like yoga really hard for two months, like five six days a week, nice. just because it's it's my thing and I really dig in it. But then like a month ago, I was running six days. Yeah. A week. You know, not not far. Most of my runs are usually like five or six miles, but like, you know, some days trying to get ten in there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, but there's there's so much to be like. I mean, it's cliche almost, but the like taking that day, the self care is just as important as like the training. Totally. You know, yeah. Taking a moment to recover. And, and I feel like I mean, a, my motivation for running is not to win races. I'm very competitive and I want to, of course, but like that, if I couldn't race again, that would not stop me from doing what I do. It's because I love being out there and, you know, I love being in these new or in these big mountains and just like going to new places and exploring new ridges or peaks or valleys or whatever. It's like this amazing exploratory opportunity to get to be in these mountains and running is such a cool way to do it because you take less gear and you can go farther and you can go into more places than a bike can go. Um, Uh And like, that's what's so valuable for me. And I've also found that doing that every single day makes it less interesting. (laughs) You know, if that's what you do, you're like, I'm going to go run 20 miles in the mountains every single day, all summer. Like I personally would get burned out and I have often, and I feel really guilty about that then. Cause I'm like, Oh, but I had this opportunity to run 20 miles in the mountains every day. So I should be, but then I just not into it. It's a really confusing thing, but I don't know. You kind of got to step away from the things you love in order to love them most. <laughs> I that's my relationship with being on the road is like precisely that. Like, and I'm and coming to terms with it right now because of COVID because like, touring isn't really an option live music is almost completely shut down um but even a few years ago as i got older because you know same thing you were saying earlier is like making a living playing music like yeah i I get like in a three-month tour i get like four hotel rooms maybe i'm living out of my car like i'm cutting expenses wherever i can and it's great because i love doing it like being on the road is the thing that like my whole life, I've just fucking loved doing it. So and I'm cool. going to be doing, I'm going to be doing it in some form or another forever. But as I got, got older, my mental health and my physical health couldn't keep up with the lifestyle of being on the road. Yeah. And I had, to, I had to change it. And I had to start like being like, well, maybe instead of booking an eight week tour, let's look at what like four weeks looks like. Like, like, let's be less masochistic about this whole thing. It's funny how you're like, well, that's kind of failing, but really it's actually making you better at it. <laughs> totally. I, I, every single, if I'm playing less shows, every single show I'm playing way better. Yeah. Like some, and, and it's, 
it's like I've had the chance the past two weekends to go upstate and play at uh, this prohibition distillery because they've got this great like social distant setup thing where I feel comfortable and it looks like all the like everybody's being safe and I I feel like I'm not promoting like a bad bad habits you know I don't I don't want to be involved with that side of this whole thing mm-hmm. um, but and it's like both of the gigs have gone better than I remember gigs going than most of them I remember that are like this from a year ago because I'm so much more present. I'm so much more, but just like so grateful just to fucking be there. I'm so glad to be like, these are songs I wrote and all of these people that like, whether they know who I am or not are listening right now. And, and I'm so, I'm so grateful to have this, but if this is, if I've done it six days a week for the past five weeks, I'm like, fuck another show. Totally. Yeah. It's like, there can always be too much of a good thing. Exactly. And and like moderation is, it's like, it's like, as I've gotten, you know, just a better grasp on being an adult human being the past few years, it's like all the advice and all the things people have been telling me for years was like, oh, they were all right. I was just like, I just had to decide on it on my own, like moderation and totally exercising you know maybe talk to a therapist these you know these things yeah. people have been telling me for years i'm finally like oh yeah they were right i just had to like finally figure it out on my own it's funny how that works right like you're like you think everybody's learned all these experiences or these lessons already through their experiences i should be able to start where they are now and make it even better but you can't you got to live your own life and learn your own lessons that's what makes them mean something yeah you got to you got to find your truth and you got to fucking chase it down or let it chase you down. Exactly. Um, what? So what's your, like, when, so you said when you're out running, like your motivation is just to be, just to be out there. Is it, is it more? I mean, uh, that, like, ideally, yes. My motivation is just to be out there. There's definitely always a part of me that's like, I want to go fast. I want to be, go bigger. I want to do better than somebody else or than myself or whatever. <laughs> But yes, it it's most fundamental and idealistic form. I'm just out there to see new places and work hard and like challenge myself. That's that's really cool. And that's something I I think like I, I wanna say I wanna start trail running, because like I've just been running in the city, yeah. which is is its own version of like I, I love it. But also, like what what would you suggest as far as like someone who's trying to make that transition or someone who's wanting to get into running for possibly the first time or it's been a a long time yeah well as far as like going from road to trail i've i've always like been a little bummed that people make such a distinction out of it it's all the same thing literally you're just out there running you're moving on your feet and in trail running you know there's more rocks and there's stuff in the way (laughs) you go up and down more hills and you got to learn to like be be comfortable with walking like there's nothing wrong with that it's just a big part of the sport um but you know all of a sudden you're just you're doing the same thing, but you're just doing it on a different surface. Just find some trails and go run. It's, it's really, there's nothing to it. <laughs> and that's what I love most about it is that it's so simple and straightforward. Well, in my, cause I'm such an anxious overthinking person that I'll sit there and overthink like, Oh, well, what if I'm going to go, like, I'm, I'm going to end up at the wrong trail or blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's like, we decided, we talked about earlier, like just make a decision, go with it. Course. Correct. Totally. Um, how do you like when you're in a new place or, like, how do you go about finding spots to run? Or do you just like, this looks good. Let's try this out. Yeah. Kind of a mixture of both. You know, if I'm in a place that I've never been before, I'll Google trails in the area 
are, there's always going to be some sort of like resource online that'll give you like uh, some trails and there's usually like some website that outlines them and tells you about them and the distances. Um, and that's probably the best way to do it is just to find some trails nearby and then just show up and, and go for it. Um, and you can get apps on your phone. Like if you really want to have the map, you can get an app on your phone. Like there's the best one I like is called Gaia, G-A-I-A. And it's, okay. um, yeah, it's great. And it, it has, you can like download it so you don't have to have service to use the map. Um, and it, yeah, and then you can follow along where you're at and so you won't get lost. Um, there's also, I think a lot of kind of fun to be had in getting a little lost and figuring it out. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. I think, I mean, course correcting, that's kind of like the theme of the road. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I'll often do that. Like I'm going out in these mountains and I'll take a map like new mountains, but like th this weekend I'm hoping to do a big run up and, uh, uh, outside Bozeman and, I, I have a map of the area, but it's a big map of the entire range. And I'm going on this like one kind of ridge line. And so the yeah. details of the map are not fine enough for me to really know exactly where to go or where I can go. And so I'm looking forward to it. Like I get to go up there and there's a chance that I'll get shut down. It might be too steep and technical, but there's also, I think there's a way to like kind of work your way through it and figure it out. And, uh, the value of that is, I don't know, immense, I think, at least for me, from, from my experience. You carrying like an actual paper map? Sometimes. Yeah, I'll take a map. Yeah, like sometimes I don't want to take my phone for whatever reason, but um, often the phone's easiest. We take pictures on the phone anyway, and I have this app anyway, so <laughs> whatever. Totally, yeah. No, that's that's really, that's cool. My, one of my favorite classes I took at the University of Utah was just a maps and compass class. Where oh, cool. Like, I mean, I had, I already knew all that stuff from high school or from like, uh, you know, hunter safety and boy scouts mm -hmm. and whatnot. But like, we just went hiking in the Uintas for a day and just learned how to triangulate position, you know, just like all of that stuff. And I got like one and a half or two credits for that. Yeah. Game. It's not easy. I mean, I I'm good at navigating when I can like see everything, you know, you're above tree line in the mountains and it's easy. You're like, Oh, there's that mountain and that mountain, whatever. And I found when I go to like the Eastern States or maybe Washington, where there's trees everywhere, I'm like, oh, I, I actually need to know how to, how to do this. Like, I have to use my skills. I don't really know. Like, I took those classes too, but I don't really use them ever. <laughs> totally, because totally, if like if you can see the ridges, like yeah, if you can read the map and see the ridges, it it kind of translates. But if you can't see them, then totally, yeah, it's a whole, whole different game. This sounds oh, like I a song. You should write a song yeah. about this. Oh, oh I, I I'm working on it. No, <laughs> just kidding. The, the wheels are turning. Um, I, I don't want to keep you too long, but I, there's a couple more things I wanted to touch on as far as you're, you're like really vocal and seem to be somewhat involved in like climate justice and, and being aware of climate change. Definitely. And, and I think um, a lot of your decision to study engineering is influenced by that. And I, I'd love for you to talk more about that, your relationship with like how your relationship with being outdoors yeah. has influenced. Yeah, well, I don't know why, but you know, it's like I think everybody kind of has a cause that means a lot to them and I don't really remember when, but I definitely remember like being really worried about environmental issues when I was a kid, just kind of like laying in bed and being kind of freaked out about this stuff. And yeah. I all so it's like for whatever reason, I'm sure it was like the values my parents gave me, but it's like always been something that's been important to me. Um and when I was younger, like when I first started running, you know, it was like a way getting out 
these trail running is like a way to be out in the mountains and out in wild places. And that's always been a big value for me. It's like, I've always loved wilderness areas and thought they're like the best things ever. And being able to have wild places has just been an assumption for me. Like this is the, this is the best thing you can do with land is protected and all this stuff. And, um, I just kind of use that assumption and the values and all my excitement about running and just kind of put it all together and built this trail running career. Um, but over the last few years, you know, there's increasing problems with like climate change and all kinds of environmental issues. And it's been really important to me. Like, basically I was like, I'm not doing anything. I'm flying all over the place, running these races and I'm going to these wild places in order to like go for runs and climbs and like really experience them. But I'm also in some ways damaging them by like contributing to climate change and all these other environmental issues. And so I kind of basically just got fed up with myself bitching about it. And I was like, I need to do something about it. And it's scary and it's hard because I don't, I'm not knowledgeable. I'm not a climate scientist or whatever. But I got involved with Protect Our Winters, which is a nonprofit that works with the outdoor industry to try to basically mobilize the outdoor industry to take action on climate change. Um, cool. And I got involved with them, and they provided me with tons of tools about how I can like use the platform I built up as an athlete to communicate about important issues, um, basically trying to get people to like call the representatives and vote and get out for big, important events or rallies or whatever. Um yeah, so that's been a cool learning experience, and that has led me to learn, to meet all kinds of interesting people, and to learn about these topics. And I've been like self-educating for a long time, just reading books about like land preservation. You know, like I kind of realized, like I've always assumed that wilderness areas and protecting land is a good thing, but then I realized, like, well, there's a lot of people who don't think that. So what what's going on there? And I like actually learned, like, read some books about how this came about and why we care about protecting wild places. And why we also need to still have access to resources because humans use resources. And, you know, it's a, it's a very uh, difficult or complicated subject, but it's really fascinating too. And it has a lot of bearing on everybody's lives. Uh, does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. It's so complex because, because you're like, like both sides of the argument, like have valid points. I think like us having a sustainable future on the one planet we know we can exist on right. <laughs> is most, the most important, but I understand we need resources and, and whatnot. So that's uh, I, I, the first step to any problem is like people like paying attention to it, yeah. like to fixing any problem. And I love that you were like, this kept you up at night as a kid. <laughs> like, like we need, we need more people that not only like, felt that way as a kid but are also following through and like yeah you know and trying to do something and the conversation's so polarized and political now that it can feel really really intimidating to get involved um and so one of the things that we want to to do with like with pow is like try to help actions feel more manageable and help people get involved in ways that doesn't don't feel so aggressive or scary um, one thing that I think we're constantly fighting against is this idea that you have to be perfectly climate neutral or carbon neutral in order to talk about climate change. You know, people will be like, will see me posting about, you know, reducing impacts and they'll be like, but you fly in airplanes. And that's completely missing the point because you're right. Yes, I do fly in airplanes. Not, I, I definitely fly in a lot fewer than I used to. And it's because of climate change, but you know, you can't totally remove yourself from human society. The important thing here is to move forward as a group. And we all acknowledge our own hypocrisies. There's no way to avoid it. It's okay. You're not a bad person because you buy the plastic hummus tub or whatever. 
you know, it's all right. What we need to do is work together to get our politicians to create standards and regulations that will then influence this change to a more sustainable infrastructure and society. And what I mean by that is that all the solutions to climate change and environmental issues, or many of them, exist already. We know what's happening, how it's happening, and how to fix it. But we lack the political and the social will to do that. And so we're trying to basically change the conversation around it so that people will believe us and vote to put people in office who will then make the big changes necessary to fight climate change. Dude, that's that's like... I, I need I need to reiterate that is like the <laughs> solutions to these problems and the and what's going on we know what is happening exactly we need everyone to stop pointing fingers and start a conversation that leads towards actual change and actual legislation that regulates and and makes this some like a, a the possibility of a sustainable future like real yeah exactly and it's in everybody's best interest because it's there's more jobs in solar power than there are in the entire fossil fuel economy. So you can have more jobs and more sustainable jobs in sustainable energy than in fossil fuel energy. And people aren't getting like lung diseases from (laughs) solar power the way that they do when they work in like a coal fired power plant. Um, It's better for our air and water and people. It gives more money to the economy. And even if we're all wrong, even if 99% of climate scientists working for 50 plus years are all wrong about climate change being human cost, then the worst that's happened is that we have a lot more jobs, a lot more money in the economy and just basically better air and water, you know? Yeah. Like cleaner oceans and shit like that. Exactly. Oh man, that fucking sucks. Yeah, no, dude, I I love that. I love that you're so passionate about this. I love that Protect Our Winners is trying to make it more accessible for people to get involved. I like, like my own, I'm going to try not to go off on too much of a tangent, but my own personal involvement as far as a cause I care about is like my neighborhood here in Bed-Stuy, New York, um, or Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. And, um, I've wanted to be involved trying to help out just my community for years and not known how, because, you know, yeah. as like a, a gentrifier, I'm a gentrifier. I was like kind of an early adopter because when I moved to this neighborhood and still my apartment is like cheaper than most places in Brooklyn and I'm an artist and that's how gentrification kind of works. Yeah. We're but, all a part of it. But, but like having to want to be a, a part of, of like community and help was like not enough to get me to actually do something until COVID happened. And, you know, and I make donations here and there and whatnot, but like COVID happens and this mutual aid organization, Bed-Stuy Strong pops up and they just make it super easy for you through a, a Slack channel to essentially like go either buy groceries for your neighbors or donate or like, like all these things that was just like so easy that my roommates and I in like a month donated groceries to over a hundred families. Oh, that's awesome. And like we, it wasn't like out of our own pockets. Like there, it was through donations through this mutual aid organization. Yeah. And, and it's like the, I guess what essentially what I'm trying to say is um, don't let the little in things that intimidate you or things that like someone might've said as far as like the plastic hummus tub or whatever, like that's, 
it's not the point and it's a distraction. The point is that you're like showing up and you want to help. Yeah, exactly. It is a distraction. And, and it's good for you to acknowledge like you as a gentrifier, because that doesn't mean you're a bad person. I see that this is something similar out here in Montana is like Bozeman's super popular and it's growing like crazy. And you see stickers around that are like, Montana's full, go back home or whatever. Um, and like mm-hmm. part of me feels bad about that, but at the same time, it's like, I want to live here for a reason. That's why everybody wants to live here. And I, it should be okay as long as I actually make this place better. And so my response is similar to yours where I'm like, I want to make this place better by figuring out what makes it good already. And then contributing to that. And totally search and rescue. Yeah, That's that's my search and rescue thing. And I want to work on trails and stuff. And you're like contributing to like these people who don't have a lot of means and are struggling through this insane pandemic thing. You know, like it's okay to live where you want to live as long as you're just trying to make the world around you better on whatever like small or large scale you can. Totally. And I think it, it kind of circles back to like the building habits of, of like running or, or like yoga for me was kind of my transition into getting back active again. And part of that was just like the whole idea of showing up every day, like just the fact that you're on your mat, whether it's for five minutes or 10 minutes, mm-hmm. like or, or an hour or two, like showing up and building the habit. And that's how that's what we do as far as is our, our daily actions when it comes to climate change or like contacting representatives. It's about showing up. It's not about someone being like, yeah, but your car, you get this much to the gallon. Like right. that's a distraction. That's a good it's way about, of phrasing it. It is a distraction. It's, about, it's a, it's about the future. It's about, it's about tomorrow. Not what's it's not yesterday. You know what I mean? Definitely. So I don't know. I, I love, I love that you're vocal about this and that you're involved in it. Being outdoors is something that I got to take for granted as a kid. And now I miss very much and I try and take advantage of as much as I can. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, dude, I I think you're just a, a solid dude and I'm stoked we got to have this conversation. Well, thanks man. That means a lot. And it's been really fun to talk to you. It gets me excited about all these things we've talked about. And, and I don't know, I, you know, this is conversation has been all about me, but I just see so many parallels between like the kind of running and traveling I do. And like we said at the start, the, like the passion that drives that is the same that drives you to travel around the world and play the play music for people. And I think that that kind of passion is something that people share in a billion different interests and communities around the world. And, and that's what brings us together. It's, it's very powerful. I, I totally agree. And I, I think, there, there's there's certain things that make this whole human experience um, like universal and bearable, and passion is one of those things. Whether it like a passion for for something that's like beyond bigger than or like I don't know, just something more than yourself. And I think music and and like nature, like these are ideas that like I can't encompass personally, but I can like pursue like a life that's entangled with that but it's kind of why you make art though right it's because you feel something so strongly but you can't really explain it to me in a conversation you need some exactly. other form totally I, I i agree that's that's the truth i i need i gotta i gotta write some some clever rhymes tied to melody exactly <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that's all it is but it, it's it's like it changes the world man i i, I agree i i think uh I don't know. I, I'm excited about it. This is a great conversation. I needed to have this, especially specifically this week. Nice. I wanted to ask you 
two last things. They can be really quick. And I'm, I'm just trying to tie in all these episodes. One is what's your favorite place that you've ran or traveled to, or like, you know, had that moment, that aha moment, or, or, you know, where you're just like, holy fuck, this is being alive. And this is one of the most and like, and planet earth is unbelievable. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's of course really hard to say everything places amazing in its own way. One of the places that comes to mind first though, is, is Juneau, Alaska. I went up there about two years ago and did a running camp up there. And it was like, it's unbelievable, man. It's like for years, ocean. And then immediately right out of the water is 3000 vertical feet. And then just these Alpine ridges that go for days. There's big glaciers and big peaks. There's tons of bad weather, but then it clears and it's, I don't know, it's very mysterious and exciting. The woods are dense and just incredible. The wildlife's amazing. It's just an extraordinary place. It's the last frontier, my friend. Yeah. Dude, I went to Alaska when I was like 10 years old with my biological father for like a fishing trip that I like, it was cool. Like, yeah, like my, my great uncle got sick and couldn't go. So I got to go on this trip instead. And I don't remember a whole lot of it except for like little snapshots of like you said like vertical like just these mountains just like shooting out of the ocean right. and and like seeing mount mckinley in the distance and being like what the fuck like <laughs> totally it's so, it's so big and you're like a uh, hundred miles from the base of it yeah but, yeah dude i gotta get back to alaska that's me too they got a great venue in uh in anchorage Really? Yeah, it's the the pizza place. I forget what it's called. It's uh, Moose's Tooth. Yeah, all the big bands have played there. Hell yeah! I'll try and see if I can figure that out. The if I can make it to Montana, hopefully before the weather turns, we should go on a run. I love it. I would. I think that would be fucking rad. Totally. You, you know, make a day out of it, and you know, you'll have to slow down a bit for me, but it'd be great. Oh, we'll go climb feet. It'll be awesome. And my final question for you, dude, is. Uh, do you have any rules of the road or like rules of the trail? Like I've got like me and my buddy Trace made this list of rules that my friend Mark found in a notebook and sent to me the other day or today. But so our dirtbags guide to rules on the road. I'll just read the first two because I don't want to give them all away. But the first one is don't break the law when you're breaking the law. And I've said that on the other episodes. So like if you if you got pot on you, make sure your taillights work, you know, like that sort of thing. <laughs> You can't, um, your brother-in-law actually helped me come up with this rule in college. (laughs) Don't break the law when you're breaking the law. (laughs) Yeah. That was like in college, our like groups, one of our, our, our rules. Uh, the other one or the number two is once it's a lie, it's always the truth. So like fucking get the story straight and stick with it. (laughs) Right. And that's, that's just like, if you're traveling with a group of people on the road, you got to just make sure that like, whatever the cop asks or whatever, like everybody knows what it is. Totally. But yeah, do you have any personal rules? They don't have to be as ridiculous as this or as drug breaking the law based. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My rules aren't that, aren't that cool. I always (laughs) try really hard to eat the food that they eat wherever I'm at. And to like follow the like patterns of like day to day living they do. And so the two examples that make it, that make that make sense is that when I was in China, I was, I made a point to eat like the Chinese people. And as we all know, Chinese food in China is different than Chinese food in America. And there were more times than I care to admit when I was like, this dinner is going to be a bummer, but I did it. (laughs) Hell yeah. Yeah. And then I also had some other things that I could 
stomach better but i was like i'm gonna do it i'm gonna eat the chicken feet and the weird ass like bean dumplings <laughs> and stuff that's a great rule that's i mean why do we travel if not to experience other exactly cultures? and it makes me uncomfortable but it was okay and then like in spain um i've been i've been a lot in spain and i'm a morning person big time i'll get up at like 5 30 in the morning and be good but then if by like 7 p.m i kind of like shut down i feel like you're probably the opposite here um I'm trying to switch, but yeah, I'm the opposite. Yeah, and so like in Spain, they don't even eat dinner until like 10 p.m. You know, and so I'm I'm used to eating dinner like 6 p.m. and going to bed, you know, two or three hours later. And so it's always been really hard for me there because they're like the most accommodating, friendly people. But I'm like getting irritable because it's like 9:30 and we haven't even eaten dinner yet. And I've always oh. like struggled with that. And I'm like, dude, don't be a dick here. <laughs> Dude, that's that's a good thing to keep in mind, though, because, um, yeah, because like the worst version of me that isn't like blacked out drunk on whiskey is like hungry me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I struggle with it. But it's like you say, it's like, why do you travel? That's that's one of the big reasons. No, it's it's about the experience. It's about like growing your comfort zone, like I mentioned much earlier. Yeah. Being like growth through discomfort. Like the only way you can grow is through discomfort. Totally. Yeah. Also, I mean, obviously those are very privileged things to have to be frustrated over. So got to keep it in perspective. Well, yeah. And we could have a whole different conversation about like how much privilege is inherent in like my career and your career yeah. or whatnot. But like it doesn't take away the from the fact that it's like they're really difficult careers that not many people can do. And the only way you can do it is by like fully throwing yourself into it and going through all of the shit that comes along. Exactly. And just being okay you know? with failing and being wrong and just trying to learn from it. T totally. And it's, and it's like, there's definitely inherent privilege in it, but like not like every single time some asshole I went to high school with throws in my face that like, Oh, what, how would you write me a song about it or something like that? I'm like, okay, I, I, I will. And why don't you go swing me a hammer about it? Like, you know, like it's my job, dude. Like, what do you, I don't like, what kind of comment are you making? Not, exactly. <laughs> but also it's just a, we, our society is very much like, I don't know. They either like want to talk shit on people that are doing things they wish that they were doing, or they're just going to like make you feel shitty for going against the, the current. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can't let them bring you down. No, don't let the bastards bring you down, man. No, that's that's a, I think that's a good place to end, I'd say. Totally. It's good talking to you, well, man. It was great talking to you. Is there anything that you want to plug to everyone on the podcast? Yeah. I just hope you guys all go vote this fall. Fucking vote. I'm not even going to tell you who to vote for. Definitely vote for the person who's going to vote for or create climate change solutions. However, I think that if we just get enough people to vote, the right thing will happen. So please vote. It's easy. It's amazing. It's we're lucky to be able to do it. <laughs> yeah, I agreed. And I think, um, you know, the only way for a democracy to properly work is if everybody shows up. And I, I think the people that are being represented the most right now aren't the people that represent our country as a whole. I think so. So we got to get everybody out to vote. No, that's I, I love it. Thank you for Thank you for reminding all of us that. And uh, well, I can I can find you on the internet on Twitter. At, is it that Dakota Jones? Yeah. yeah, same with Instagram. Twitter and Instagram, that Dakota Jones. Ladies and gentlemen, or thank you so much, Dakota. My friend Dakota, the ultra marathon mountain trail runner, 
uh, search and rescue badass dude that I wish I got to spend more time with. Soon, man. We'll definitely see you yes. soon. Thanks for everything. Thank you, man. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Man.